Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In The Zone. This is uh, episode 77, and I uh, can't believe it's already episode 77. It's been uh, a great journey with these two morts, <laughs> <laughs> these two guys on camera. But uh, yeah, without further ado, this has been the trend. This is the last part of this series. We're going to do instead of a top 10 in each of these positions, they're basically the same. We'll just do a top 15 power forward slash centers. So with that being said, let's kick this shit off. Yellow, I'll give it to you. Am I going one at a time here? Are we getting a few down at yeah, once? Just go one at a time. <laughs> All right, kicking her off. No honorable mentions. Get right into it. Number 15, Jaron Jackson. Really like what he's done this year. I decided to go with a lot of young guys. So I uh, left some notable vets out this year. Him and Ja, I just, I can't ignore what they've done for Memphis this year. So the pick and pop action with him and the pick and roll with JB, Memphis has got it locked over there. I give him love at 15. Alino's next, buddy. You got it. Number 15, Jonas Valanciunas. Had to give him some love. Had to rearrange his list a little bit, but I love what he's doing, him and Ja Morant together. Uh, nice little duo for Memphis. They're a lot better than actually a lot of people probably thought. Maybe... Going into the year, I think people thought they'd be in 10th place, maybe around that bubble area from 9 and 8, but they've uh, maintained that 8 spot all year. Uh, a lot has to do with the veteran presence of uh, our guy, JV, so 15 spot right here. And my number 15, I'm also going with a young guy, and he was also suspended for PEDs early in the year. John Collins, Atlanta. Uh, he averaged 21, 10, and almost two blocks a game. This guy could probably score from anywhere on the court. He's uh, one of few guys on that team that just drives the offense. Him and Trey Young are the main guys. Over time, he'll only improve defensively. But for now, he's at 15. This guy's offensive potential for centers is probably in the, I'd say probably in the top 10. But yeah, if for all around game, he's number 15. Uh, number 14, I got our boy, Serge Ibaka. I originally had him out of the list, but uh, when I just see what he's done this year, it might be his best offensive season yet. He's averaging almost 40% from three. Raps have been a top five league uh, team in the league all year. With Gasolo, too, he's had to carry a lot of the load. So I'm giving Serge some love. I got him at 14. Yeah, my number 14 is Collins from Atlanta. John Collins having fantasy. It's been amazing for me ever since he came back from his PED suspension. So... <laughs> The suspension gives him a minus five ranking for me. I had him a lot higher if, uh, you know, he didn't over there. So he's a really good player. I think him in Atlanta's system is probably the best possible fit. With Capella coming in, those two guys just defensively uh, add another layer to that team. And next year it's going to be more uh, more of an offensive risk, maybe, depending on the rule, like roles that get split around. But with uh, Trey Young a top pick next year, and these two, they could be a real threat to the rest of the league. Yeah, my number 14, Mr. Coronavirus, Rudy Gobert. Touching all those mics. Um, yeah, no, but the reason I have him on the list over a couple others, like Kevin Love and, and Ibaka and all those guys, is just because of how great defensively he is. He's probably the most elite defensive center in the league. Uh, maybe behind like Davis and Giannis, but that's a whole different. That's they're at a whole different level. But um, yeah, Giannis he won't get you a lot of points. He'll average like 15 and 13, 
Um, he's basically kind of Clint Capella is a poor man's Rudy Gobert. They're literally the same player, just Gobert's a little better defensively. The fit with Donovan Mitchell for me is just perfect. If they actually end up parting ways, I really don't know what to expect with Gobert down the line. Uh, he's taking a step back this year, but he's still, he's still for me, he's probably one of the best defensive players in the league. So for that reason, I had to put him in the list. So he's 14. At uh, 13, I got Tobias Harris. You guys had him in your small forward list last week. That's the positionless basketball we talked about. But he's been a consistent scorer ever since coming into the league. He's a solid third option there. Still maintaining his numbers over the last 10 years, which is crazy playing behind those two guys. So I give him some love here at number 13. Yeah, my number 13, LaMarcus Aldridge. From San Antonio, him and DeRozan have... Uh, been making the most of a bad situation this year. Aldridge is still putting up decent numbers. Uh, not as good as he was, obviously, like a four, maybe five years ago, but he's still productive. He can still add to offense to a great team, depending on the system. So uh, I think this year uh, might be the last with him and DeRozan together. And uh, after this year, maybe they'll look at trading him and really rebuild. But he's still proven to be a top player in the league. Yeah, for me, number 13, LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, he's a mid-range god. He's probably one of the best mid-range big guys I've seen in my lifetime because he's been around for so long. Um, again, he's been taking more threes this year, more than he's ever had, and he actually shot them at a pretty good rate. He, he hit 38% of them this year, so that's really good. That's actually probably above average. Um, without Aldridge and DeRozan, the Spurs are probably at the bottom of in the league. Um, this guy, yeah, I, I do exp- he's for me, he's in the same spot as like a Derrick Rose right now, where like he's just kind of treading water. He has to get traded to a contender because he deserves better. I think he's one of those guys where he's literally almost Hall of um, like Hall of Fame worthy. It's just you need that title at this point, and yeah, that's that's where I have Lamarcus. He's thirteen. Uh, number 12, I got Danilo Gallinari. Uh, everything Mr. Primo Pasta and Sauce probably should have been. Uh, just a consistent offensive player everywhere he's been. Uh, he's been relatively healthy the last couple years, so maybe he can really start to get going with that team. So, yeah, I got him at number 12. My number 12, Montrez Harrell from the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I really think he's improved a lot. Year. He's really proven he can be a real top power forward, center, uh, one of those dual positions in the league. Uh, he's a great fit there with George and Kawhi. So uh, the, of all the pieces there, I think he's the one that if they were to move some players around, it would probably be a Beverly or Lou Williams. I think Harrell would be the safe one there. Uh, it's a system that works. You can adapt to both offensive and defensive. So uh, I think he's uh, fitting of this outside the top ten. I think he fits well in L.A. It's just he's a free agent, and I don't know what he's expecting to get, like, salary-wise, because he's had a, the last two years he's been amazing. So I don't know if the Clippers are going to be willing to pay him. So it's for free agency, I think he's a name that, like, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But my number 12, um, this guy obviously should be higher, is Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, the reason he's lower, again, kind of like what I said with Paul George, just the games, didn't play enough, 35 games. But to me, he's the best offensive center I've ever seen in my life. With the skills, with everything else involved, his three-point shot, he makes it look so effortless. His handles as well is a probably top five for centers. 
Um, what is this? What did he have? He averaged 26, 10, 4, and 1.2 blocks. He just fills the stat sheet on a nightly basis. A lot of people, you know, the only reason why he's low for a lot of others is because his defensive game is almost, like, non-existent. So with that being said, if he probably played the full year, he's probably in the, easily in the top five, but he's number 12 right now. Uh, yeah, number 11, Carl Anthony Towns for pretty much the same reasons. If he played more games, he'd definitely be up there. But uh, until he works on that defensive game, I think this is pretty much what he is. He's going to be an offensive juggernaut every year, but no one's going to view him as that top five centerman in the league. So until he does that, he's got a number 11 on my list. Yeah, my number 11, Rudy Gobert, Utah. Uh, offensively, he was 15 points. It's a li- it's not really as good as what he should be averaging. I think it should be at the 17 to 19 range. But uh, Utah has been struggling. He's still being uh, great defensively. Rebounding is still there. And uh, him and Mitchell together are still being a great duo. So I think uh, he's not in the top 10 based on just the offensive production, but he's still 11 and uh, centers and power forwards. Yeah, my number 11, uh, to me, I kind of look him underrated. Nikola Vucevic on Orlando. Um, when healthy, he's the primary option there easily. He's probably easily their best player when I think of everything he could do. Uh, he could score from anywhere on the court. Another center that can just blow your mind when you think of offense. Um, you know, he he's averaged the last three years around 20 and 11, which is really elite. Those are elite numbers. He was an all-star last year. Uh, and the only thing with him is just uh, injuries have kind of slowed him down over the years. I think if he wasn't as injured as much, we would be talking about him a lot more. So for now, he's number 11, but I wouldn't be surprised if he climbed the list eventually. Uh, number 10, I got Vucevic, uh, just a solid, round, uh, solid all-around offensive player. Uh, he's, he's been with the Magic pretty much all of his 20s. And I think the last like two years they made the playoffs. Other than that, they really have not been good. I don't want to say that they've wasted his years, but I think when his contract's up, it's time for him to maybe move on and be a second or third piece because he's been the primary option there forever. So he's been solid for a long time. I give him the number 10 spot. Yeah, my number 10, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, like you guys were mentioning, the games he missed, obviously, and then Minnesota's ranking right now, they're not, like, really... I think with Wiggins and him together, I thought people had higher expectations, and then Jimmy Butler, that whole situation. So what they were able to respond with that hasn't been the best of responses from a team. So, yeah, the defensive end is what takes him out of this uh, whole top five area. But number 10 for sure next year, once he plays probably the full season, he's going to be right back up there. Oh, yeah, he's going to be motivated more than ever next year for sure with what happened. But I'm not going to talk about that. Um, at number 10, this might be my most controversial, Andre Drummond at number 10. I was thinking of having him off the list, but just what he does, um, this was a career year actually this year. It's pretty funny. You know, he got traded to the Cavs, and he says he's going to stay there. I don't think he's staying in Cleveland. Um, you know, he averaged 17, almost 18, 15 two assists, two steals, and almost two blocks. So what he does on a nightly basis is elite. He stuffs the stat sheet almost all the time. For me, he's the best rebounder since Dennis Rodman. Um, yeah, uh, the only thing is he doesn't. He can't shoot. He can't shoot the three. He, his free throw shooting is really, really bad. But other than that, if it was at least in the 60 to 70, 
he'd probably be averaging around 23 and 18. So, um, you know, sometimes this just happens. So for now, Andre Drummond's 10, and I'm actually interested to see where he goes next year. Uh, number nine, I got Chris Dax Porzingis. The New York Knicks are fucking stupid. This guy's averaging 19.2 a year. Uh, he's been plagued with injuries, obviously, the first few years, but I still think we haven't even seen close to what he can be yet. Him and Doncic in the first year have been amazing together. He's a solid number two option there. They're in a, they were in a playoff spot before the season ended. No one really saw that coming as quick as it happened. So I got him in the top 10. He's number nine. Yeah, my number nine, Bam Adebayo from Miami. Uh, I was I had him and Vucevic kind of like in the spot debating, but I'm looking at what Bam Adebayo has done, how he's progressing. Look at Vucevic, Orlando, again, eighth seed. They haven't really improved much, even though they have guys that are stepping up. So uh, looking at that, I'd see Bam Adebayo has done more in a shorter amount of time to warrant that. So he's number nine for me. Yeah, my number nine, just like Pinello, the unicorn. Porzingis, yeah, the Knicks are stupid. They they didn't trade enough. Um, like, they literally got nothing in return for him. And I know they only did that to get the salary and try and go for KD and all those guys. And then it, it failed completely. So, yeah, Porzingis averaging 19.9. I think that's not even close to what he could average. I think he can average, like, 26 and 11 in, like, his best years. Um, he can score from anywhere. He might have the best three-point shot out of all centers, maybe behind Towns. Um, his ball handling is elite. Um, defensively, I would arguably, when healthy, put him in all first NBA defense. Um, I'd say like him, Davis, Giannis, those are your best defensive all-around centers. When I think of healthy, I think Porzingis could be top five, no doubt about it. But for now, he's in at number nine just based off of injuries. And I think he will be leading in shot blocking almost every single year, just based because he's seven foot three. Um, my number eight, I got Sabonis. Uh, simplicity, very simple but effective player. He will not pull up from more than fifteen feet out. Loves the two man game. Loves working the pick and roll. Uh, I love the setup there with the Pacers. It really, really promotes his game. So uh, I really love this player. He's only like four or five years into the league. I got him at number eight for now. Yeah, I got the same. Sabonis, uh, he was brought in from that trade with Paul George. Worked out well for Indiana. Uh, they got Oladipo and him. So what they were able to get for Paul George at the time, that's amazing on their front office team. So uh, he's improved, like you mentioned. That mid-range game, he plays, doesn't do anything too crazy to be a liability to his teammates. So... Uh, I got him at number eight for sure. Yeah, so it's a clean sweep. So bonus at eight as well. Like Pinello said, it's simplicity that sometimes is the, your most effective tool. That is Sabonis' tool. Uh, you know, Oladipo being injured the last basically two years. Holy crap. Um, you have, you know, Miles Turner who has not progressed at all. If anything, he's probably taken a back seat. Sabonis so continues to just impress. And again, when I talk about stat stuffing... Devonta Sabonis on a nightly basis, what st- he would stuff the stat sheet, and like I just said about Lamarcus Aldridge, to me Sabonis is a he's a mid-range god. Uh, I think he will probably be one of the best mid-range centers in the NBA. And to me, again, he could easily climb the list. He's only I think 23, 24, and uh, OKC really screwed up that trade in my opinion. But he's number eight. 
Uh, number seven, I got Bam Adebayo. This guy scares me. He is very electric. He can guard three positions pretty much. Uh, he runs the floor with with ease, with, with the best of them. Uh, averaging double-double numbers the past couple years. With the Miami Heat, with the guys around him, uh, nothing but success I see for that guy. So he's got my number seven spot. Yeah, my number seven, Chris Tapps for Zingas. Uh, even though he missed some time, I think like when he plays, it's so hard to just match him. He just takes over a game. Him and Doncic together are probably one of the best duos in the NBA right now. So uh, the playoffs are going to be really interesting. He's going to be rested. He's going to be fully healed. He had all this time off. And uh, Dallas could surprise some people, maybe even make a run. So I like their team going forward. And Porzingis is only going to improve, which is scary. And uh, the numbers he's going to put up when healthy are going to be uh, mind-blowing and surprising to a few people. Yeah, my number seven is Bam Adebayo. Um, you know, what he's done, this guy, oh my God. Uh, for me, he's probably the most improved player. It's between him, Ingram, and Graham. But I think Adebayo, uh, defensively as well, he's elite. Um, offensively, now he's elite. He, to me, he's one of the best players. Uh, He's one of the best paint players in the league already, and he's like 22. They hit a home run here, um, the Miami Heat with Bam Adebayo. To me, he is the second star, and I think he's the perfect teammate for Jimmy Butler. They both have that aggressive mentality. So I think Bam Adebayo as well, just like what I just said about Zabonis, he's kind of just scratching the surface for now. But, man, his potential to me is through the roof. Just like what Pinello said, he's very electric, and he's a nightmare every time you face him. So for me, he's number seven. Uh, number six, I got Joel Embiid, who played only 44 games this year. Uh, he's maintained pretty much the same numbers the last four years. The only thing is he's, um, you know, can he do it over the full course of the season? I think once he gets a couple year, full years under his belt and he really starts going and starts working on himself, uh, then we're, it's going to be like a Porzingis situation. Then he's really going to take off because, like, the thing with him, he'll pull up like 10, 12 times a game. And I just feel like that's very lazy when he's got the matchup uh, on his side pretty much every single night. He should just fucking drive. And once he realizes he has that advantage, he's going to be unstoppable. So I got him at six, which is insane, but he could go up to number two or three as easy as next year. Yeah, I have him at six too. And I'm glad I wasn't uh, the only one who thought this was like kind of low. Uh he should be in that one or two spot. Uh, his size, how dominant he could be. But there were times this year where he showed he was a little bit lazy. Like, how do you get shut out your first game against the Raptors, especially like from what happened in the playoffs last year? That just shows like what he was thinking. Then you have some games where he's just not even really invested in it. Then he gets injured. Then Simmons goes out. He's able to play. Simmons comes back, and then there's this whole friction between the two. So uh, he took a step back. I think this year. Uh, hopefully he like smartens up about it and picks it up because I think he's probably he if he's healthy and invested he could be the most dominant player in the game. Yeah, clean sweep again. Joel Embiid at six. Only reason he's this low is because the game's played and yeah, just uh, what what he what he the only thing with him is again consistency playing. I'm not worried about his production at all. For me, I'm worried about. I want this guy to succeed. I want this guy to play over 60 games. I think the last three years he's played about that. Um, but this year he's 
fallen off a cliff offensively, at least from last year. I think last year he averaged almost 28 a game, and this year he went all the way down to 23. But, man, when this guy is on, Philly is just way better of a team. His usage rate is arguably one of the highest in the league. And, uh, yeah, like you guys both said, he's probably one of the most unstoppable players in the league. And he could easily be number two, number three if he plays a full year. I have him slightly better than Towns when healthy. But, man, Embiid as well defensively. Holy crap, he's elite. So he's number six for now. But, again, he'll climb the list. Uh, Number five from the Raptors, Spicy P. Very high. Uh, I love his rise, just going from most improved player to all-star starter. And then people are talking about him in the MVP race, which was crazy. But um, just to see his rise going from that to being one of the best power forwards in the league is crazy. It's his first year being a number one guy. No one really knew how he'd do. Everyone thought he'd be okay. He's just come out of the gate, and he's just been amazing, averaging almost 24 a year, really taking the reps there this year. So I got him in the top five. Yeah, same thing with me. Pascal Siakam, number five. Uh, he's really become that go-to option for the Raptors, and it's going to be his team next year and the years going forward. Lowry's aging, so he might be taking a little bit of a step back, just uh, scaling back the games played. And Gasol, who knows, maybe he'll go back to Memphis next year. But uh, I think Siakam's a guarantee on this team. Going forward, it's his team, and uh, he's just going to get better. So the last two years are any like indicator of it he's probably going to average like 26 points next year so uh, i have him at number five yep number five is pascal siakam as well um for me his motor is what excites me most about his game he just he never gets tired he always looks effective all the time never runs out of gas um you know he's only going to improve his three-point shot over time It's already pretty good, though. Uh, This has been his fourth year in the league, technically third full year, but fourth in the league. Um, His mid-range game is elite. His paint moves probably the best in the league. It's it's top three for me. His spin move is unguardable, kind of like the James Harden step back when you guys, you know, there's guys that have signature moves. His spin around is just, you can't guard that. Um, for me, I don't really know what his offensive potential is. I know some of them are, some people are saying it could be 28, it could be 25. I really don't know. Um, it depends, I guess, if the raps get Giannis down the line, that's going to depend on how impactful he is offensively. But this guy, his toolbox is full. Um, defensively, he's elite as well. Yeah. Like a lot of people may be surprised that he's number five, but I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. At uh, number four, I got Nikola Jokic, who I'm, I'm really still trying to figure out. He's like a seven-foot awkward center with point guard handles. Moves so slow, but still manages to fake everybody out. He's really been coming into his own the last few years. Uh, people really should pay more attention to the Denver Nuggets. I think people just kind of skip them with the teams in L.A. and Russ and Harden and Houston. And everyone talks about Utah. This team doesn't get uh, enough love. And Jokic is the centerpiece of all their success. He's been rolling. He's going to continue to roll. So I got him in the four spot. Uh, my number four, I got Jason Tatum from Boston. Uh, he's really come into his own since being drafted, improved every year. Even that run when they lost to Cleveland, that was their chance, I think, to go to the finals. But uh, he's taken over that team, especially since Kyrie Irving left. So uh, 
I don't have him yet in that top two, three range, but I think next year he could move into that. Uh, he's still going to improve. He's going to be a superstar in this league. It's inevitable. So I got him at number four. Yeah, my number four is also Jason Tatum. Um, I think he will climb the list. I, uh, Pinello knows how much I love this guy. I've, I've said for the longest time, this guy should be the first overall pick. Nope. Goes third overall, steal. And, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised with how great he is. You know, when you get taught by Kobe Bryant, it's just going to work out. This guy's footwork is amazing. He can score anywhere year after year. He's gotten better with the three-point shot, his defensive game. It's still kind of inconsistent, but he's getting there. And once he gets a defensive game, the MVP race is not looking like a it's not looking like a surprise at that point. I think in two, three years, you're going to be considering Jason Tatum a top five talent in the NBA, maybe even top three. I mean, I personally have him being a top three player at some point in time, whether that means Zion gets hurt, Doncic gets hurt, whoever gets hurt. I have Tatum winning at least one MVP trophy, but his, his toolbox at 22 years old, is just so complete, and that's the scariest part of his game, that he's only 22 years old. Boston has a gem here. He's number four. Uh, yeah, number three, Jason Tatum. Pretty much everything you guys said, he just uh, he's been so, he just continued to progress every year, and then this year, for whatever reason, he just fucking exploded through the roof, uh, coming at a perfect time for Boston. Um, him and Jalen Brown, and they have a, such a perfect mix of uh, veteran players and young guys. I think he's in a solid situation there. I do believe he's going to win an MVP a little bit uh, later on down the line, but the fact that he's already at number three and number four for you guys is absolutely insane. Yeah, my number three is Jokic from Denver. Uh, I think once you look past L.A. and Houston, the real like basketball in Denver right now is at another level, they can easily make a run for a championship and people would be surprised. But if you see the way Jokic plays, it's not much of a surprise. He's dominant. He can do a lot of things that some point guards can't even do. And uh, he's over seven feet tall. So he's able to just get triple doubles, get threes, get mid-range shots and take over. And Jamal Murray's there too. So they got a great duo, great backcourt. And, uh, I can even see him go into number one spot in a couple of years. Yeah, he's number three for me as well. Um, it's obviously who the top two are. Um, they're on a different tier. But Nikola Jokic, like Vignello said, this guy is probably the funniest guy to watch when you watch highlights, when you watch a Denver game. You just don't take him seriously. You look at him and it's like, okay, what is this guy going to do? And what does he do? He rarely gets injured. He's a triple-double machine. He's got one of the best handles in the game. His mid-range is elite. His three-point shot has gotten better year after year. He's literally made Denver a top-four team the last three years in the Western Conference. Mind you, the West is way harder than the East, in my opinion, way harder. So, yeah, at some point in time, we got to actually start talking about Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets and potentially being contenders for a title. Like when the Mavs won it in 2011 and they didn't really have a star other than Nowitzki, like they had Jason Terry, they had a couple others, but like this team for me exactly resembles that team. They're underrated, they're underappreciated, 
And, you know, when Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, they even have Michael Porter Jr., a young, he looks like a young stud, uh, Paul Millsap. I think this team, like, if the NBA were to resume, I wouldn't be surprised if they knocked out a Houston or an L.A. or an OKC, like, just teams like that. So, for now, Jokic is three. I don't know if he'll ever go higher, but, man, this guy, when it comes to triple-doubles, he just amazes me. Yeah, yeah. At number two, I got Anthony Davis, 27, 10 boards. You guys know the stats. He's going to produce wherever. The only thing I'm looking for or I'm, I'm excited to see is how he's going to uh, do in the playoffs. He hasn't had that platform uh, presented to him yet. So now with LeBron in L.A., I'm really excited. Those two probably the most physically dominant guys pairing in the league, I'd say. Um, yeah, no different for Davis. Um just a beast. I got him as the runner-up. Yeah, everything you said there about Davis, same thing. Maybe the Lakers will be giving him another opportunity to really showcase that. Hopefully, he doesn't turn out the opposite way, where he doesn't show up. But depending on who they match up with, I think he's got a great chance here. And uh, I got him at number two. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the runner-up, but a lot of people, the way that they view these two guys, you could have it 1A, 1B, you could have 1-2. Regardless, these are the top two easily for me. It's not even a question. Davis coming into the league, a lot of people kind of questioned his size because he was very skinny, and then all of a sudden he beefed up, and all of a sudden he started getting options, and all of a sudden he started getting players around him. Like, he had Drew Holiday. We saw in that postseason, you know what? Drew Holiday wasn't enough. He wanted to leave, goes to L.A., and what happens? He has the best defensive season, arguably, of his career. He's obviously, you know, the most successful team, obviously. You have LeBron and AD on a team. That's absolutely ridiculous. To me, it's not far-fetched, even if you guys had Davis at number one. I think Davis could, at times, be better than Giannis. He could be more impactful than Giannis. But just based off the season that that guy's had, oh, my God, he's a freak for a reason but yeah Anthony Davis there's no other better <laughs> there's no other better runner up than Anthony Davis out of all the lists we've done so he's number two and number one Giannis Antetokounmpo the two-time MVP it was coming we all knew it he's only 25 years old uh similar to Davis he came in this scrawny little kid the fucking 15th pick in the draft in 2013 go back and see one in front of him you'll fucking start crying uh, and then, the, yeah, the last three years, I'd say he's really taken over as one of the more dominant physical specimens in this league, and that he really seemed unstoppable this year. So, yeah, there's really not a whole lot to say. He's, he's probably going to be number one going forward for a few more years, so Giannis takes it. Yeah, Giannis number one. This is his spot. The MVPs are going to continue to pile up no matter what Milwaukee does. The season they've had, he's number one for that reason. Just dominates, makes his teammates better there, and uh, they're still first place. So back-to-back years in that spot, uh, I think it's going to go and continue. Maybe next year with the new competition with KD and Kyrie Irving, uh, might be a bit of a threat to that, but right now that's Giannis's number one spot. This guy, I don't, I don't even know what his ceiling is. Um, the, the the biggest staff for me that scares me this year is he's only averaging 30 minutes a game and he's scoring 30 points a game so if you increase those minutes he's arguably averaging around Harden numbers (laughs) so 
Yeah, Giannis. It's it at the end of it all. When you think of like accolades and awards, this guy can go down as a probably a top three player ever. This guy already has two MVPs. He'll he's gonna win the MVP this year. I, I could see this guy winning like five MVPs by the time it's all said and done. His defensive game, top three in the league. His offensive game, probably top five in the league. I know most of his scoring is dunking, but you can't guard him. He's just that guy. When he gets a three-point shot and when he hits over 35% of them, he will be an unanimous MVP that year as well. I think the only question is when it comes to MVPs is how great does Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson really have to be in order to steal an MVP from Giannis because Giannis's numbers statistically, I don't think I've ever seen anybody have a better season than Giannis this year, especially with PER. Like I think the last guy to have a better PER was Kareem, and that was just a different time for basketball. So Giannis is number one, and yeah, he's probably going to be number one for a very long time. It's just a crazy thing, man. Holy crap. <laughs> 25 years old, two-time MVP. Oh, my God, man. This guy's... Who's going to be the first guy to steal an MVP away from him? Luca. Okay, I like it. And I'll say that'll come sooner rather than later. I think Zion. You know what? I'm going to go Davis. (laughs) Nah, he's never going to get that love. Come on. We're going to get that love. I don't know why. I just don't, I don't think he will. It'll be after he leaves LA. Yeah, we're <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> I'm calling it out. When all is said and done with Davis, they're going to look at him kind of like Tim Duncan, but without the accolades. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Davis probably never won an MVP, one of the best in the league. I think that's how it's going to, how his career layout is going to look at when it's all said and done. So be like, oh, yeah, Davis was amazing. But why does he not have any of these like MVPs? And it's like, well, there was this guy named Giannis and Luca and Tatum and Zion and all these other guys in the league. So I don't know. Like I, I want Davis to win an MVP. It's just the competition, man. It's, it's tough. tough. It even depends on like how you value offense, because there's some people they value, you know, Harden's numbers higher than a defensive 2.5 blocks a game. So it depends on what you value more, and for the most part, when it comes to off- when it comes to MVPs, it's the offensive numbers. Do you think there's a realistic chance he would walk to the Bulls when his deal's up? Because now I'm just kind of picturing him like the centerpiece for Levine and and like Colby. Oh, That'd be a nice. That's a nice. It's a nice scene there. I like that. Uh, if he leaves LA, <laughs> he's gonna be hated. I'll say that. If he leaves L.A., he's going to be hated. Maybe not, like, for his whole career, but he'll be hated for a little bit. I think for, like, three, four years, people will be like, oh, my God, this guy's flip-flopping. Like, he's not loyal. He just wants to win, and you just wanted to go home. And, like, okay, at a certain point, like, you got to start asking yourselves, when do they all want – like, do they all want to go home? Like, because that's a trend lately. Do they all just want to go home and play? Because I think that's kind of childish. Like, the job in the NBA is to go to the team that you get drafted by, you're loyal to. And for me, I think the part of being an athlete, the exciting part is traveling. So, I I don't know. Like, you do get homesick. But I feel like when you go home, 
and you're on the opposite team, I feel like that could even be a better reception. So I don't really – I agree with him maybe going to Chicago just based off of, you know, being home, whatever. <laughs> but if, if they don't win the title, the Lakers, and he leaves, that just looks terrible. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Like, LeBron, like, he's 30 – is he 34 now? Yeah. That, that, that'd be a slap in the face, too, to LeBron. Like, then LeBron is going to start looking around the locker room and being like, I really have no one again. It's like Cleveland 2018. So, I'm going to get him then. <laughs> Maybe he'll learn. I mean, the Clippers are in the same position, too. I mean, you think, like, if either of those teams don't win in the next three years, what a fucking waste of time. Yeah, and like Quiet you said, Gilgis Alexander, if they don't win... And Gil just keeps getting better. Oh man, how many first rounds are there? So What's I don't know, man. <laughs> well, let's move on to wrestling. We got to talk about some depressing stuff. All these people getting released, um, whether it was for personal reasons, the coronavirus. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on these releases? And to you, who was the most surprising? Oh, yeah, there was a lot of them. Uh, sucks to see, but some of them even asked for the release. Like, uh, the Revival asked for the release before, so they got released before this. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, the Good Brothers weren't too happy with the tag team scene. AJ there, at least they can go on to bigger and better things. Rusev has not really been used, so he's probably going to benefit from this release. And then you look at some other guys like Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, like, they're going to find some opportunities elsewhere. Eric Rowan surprised me because uh, last year he was, not even last year, like eight months ago, he was the biggest heel on SmackDown with Daniel Bryan. So, And just going to Raw, what it did to his career kind of sucks. But, yeah, him and Kurt Angle is another one that's weird. Like, you're telling a Hall of Famer like that, you can use as an ambassador to your company and you just get rid of them is odd. All the opportunities missed out. You know what? They also let go Mike Kyoto. How long has he been there for? <laughs> like, I'm more pissed off about all the veteran guys they let go because, like you mentioned, Ryder and Hawkins and, uh, yeah, Luke Gallows. And, like, they, they've been there for, like, 10-plus years, some of these guys. And with everything that's going on, it's understandable. But, it's yeah, it's kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, for me, the biggest surprise may be Heath Slater, what I think of oh timing. God. Just like Drew McIntyre just won the title. Jinder Mahal's coming back soon. Heath Slater just had that video call with Drew, you know, congratulating him. His mom would be proud and like all that, you know, nice stuff. But then literally like three, four days later, you release him. I don't really know what the reasoning was, I guess, to for like picking these guys, like handpicking them or maybe, again, like what uh, Alino, you were saying, like most of them weren't really being used to the best of their abilities. But this is a guy, Heath Slater, where he came in and it was probably one of the worst times in wrestling. 2010 was just awful and he was a part of the Nexus and he just kept trucking. For me, the most surprising thing with Heath Slater was the 2016 run when he came back and, you know, he won the Smack. He was the first ever SmackDown tag team champ with Rhino. I thought that was amazing stuff he did. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to kick him to the curb like that, like right after Drew wins. Uh, to me, that was just kind of surprising. And of course... The Rusev, for me, that he's a he's a main eventer. We talked about uh, when we were talking about underrated matches 
three, four weeks ago, like, like especially in 2018, Rusev versus AJ Styles, that match was incredible. I think um, Rusev knew at that time maybe that was the only opportunity he was going to get in the main event scene, and he knocked it out of the park. So I don't know why they had to let go of Rusev. I know the fact that Lana's still there and Rusev isn't is still a head-scratcher, but I hope Rusev signs somewhere else. I hope he doesn't quit wrestling. I hope he signs in either N- in uh, NWA or AEW or New Japan, and I hope he absolutely knocks it out of the park because he's the main eventer. Um, another one that kind of floored me was uh, Leo Rush because he went on that long hiatus. No one knew what the hell was going on. He came back. He won the Cruiserweight title. He was doing some solid stuff with Angel Garza and NXT. Um, and then he was left out of that tournament that they just, uh, they've just they been promoting recently. And then all this comes out. Like he's only 25 years old. Everyone loves Leo. The guy's money on the mic. He can go in the ring. Yeah, I'm still kind of... like This would be the one I'm most confused about. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's him. EC3 as well as another one because... He never got used at all. He had the vignettes, all that stuff looked good, and then nothing. Uh, he was on a moment of bliss, and then that was probably his shining moment, or his match with Dean Ambrose was his shining moment, and that was literally it. We all know where Dean is now. He's the AEW champ. Good for him, Mr. John. And uh, I just hope EC3 goes to AEW and aligns with MJF because that'll just be absolute money. Yeah, throw Drake Maverick into the mix there. Those two are gold and impact. And finally go and be that duo and help someone else's ratings. So uh, I want to see EC3 finally use this potential. It's a shame that he went back to WWE for that. But now uh, he's got an opportunity. There's a lot of uh, big promotions now. It's not like before where it was just TNA and they couldn't get everyone because they only had a two-hour show. Now that there's NWA, uh, Impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan, there's more... Uh, places for some of these guys that maybe, if they're not going to get like a million plus dollars, at least make an opportunity for themselves to become bigger name free agents when their contract is up there. So this could be a benefit for some of them. Um, in terms of the the pay-per-view coming up, what are you guys' expectations with the money in the bank? I know there's not a lot of participants. Well, the participants, I'm not really sure yet. But are you guys expecting like a dark horse to win or like what kind of approach do you think they're going to take just based off of the status that the company is in right now? Do you think they're going to go with like a scene as there's no crowd? Do you think they're going to go with like a dark horse winner, like a Buddy Murphy? Or do you think they're going to go with like a star to win the money in the bank? I hope they go with the younger guy because every time uh, the money in the bank comes around, we, we say, uh, Oh, if they give it to this guy, it can catapult him to the main event status, and then they bail out and then just go with someone that's been there a million times. But uh, I don't think this the pandemic isn't going to change anything. I think they're still on the track that they've always been on. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, because Daniel Bryan, uh, Paulo Cruz is in it, Aleister Black, and Rey Mysterio so far. Uh, Rey Mysterio beat Buddy, so I, I don't understand why they did that. I think Buddy Murphy's eventually going to probably get in, probably attack Mysterio, and that will lead to a feud. But going into it, I thought Buddy Murphy winning would have made the most sense, considering Seth Rollins is going for the title against Drew. He could have used that to build tension, but they don't. Maybe Aleister Black wins it, or they can go with the Dark Horse and Apollo Crews. Yeah. 
Um, do you guys expect maybe Braun Strowman to have a lengthy run at all? Do you think Bray's just going to win it back? And uh, we all know that Roman Reigns actually, apparently recently there have been reports that WWE doesn't even want superstars to even mention his name. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Do you think that's like, do you think that's just them being petty, or do you think that's just them making his return more meaningful? Because I, I, when I thought when I read that, I got a mixed bag out of that. Yeah, it's. I think it's just the scenario. Like they know they don't want to make people think he's going to be back like right now. Uh, so by not mentioning him, once he eventually returns, you don't expect it every single week. So like that Braun and Bray can do their whole feud, already jumping to conclusion on it. But I think Bray's going to win the title right away and feud with Jeff Hardy. So <laughs> that's, uh, I don't think it's going to be a long run. Yeah, exactly what you said. I think Braun was the filler from the start. Not denying he's going to do great stuff with it. I've loved their interaction so far since WrestleMania, but I am very excited for Brother Nero to get in there and uh, potentially fuck things up. But uh, for Roman, dude, like, they're, they're probably going to announce it the week before when he comes back. So not mentioning his name isn't going to do a single thing for me. <laughs> also, uh, last question, and maybe we could end it, or if you guys have any other things. Uh, Seamus? He's actually been featured a lot more recently. Um, do you guys expect him to maybe have one final main event type run? Or do you just expect him to kind of be in the same position as Daniel Bryan, like putting guys over on a nightly basis? I want to see him in one last run. The last little while, he's gone through some serious injury problems. Everyone thought he'd be retiring before the year started. So uh, you see those Celtic Warrior workouts, that big fucking guy putting the work in, grinding to get back. I'm giving him one more shot. Yeah, same. I thought they were going to go, like the direction they were going with was Sheamus and Braun Strowman. Uh, I didn't think they were going to go with Bray Wyatt so soon, but maybe if Bray Wyatt wins, Sheamus and Jeff Hardy have their thing, and Jeff Hardy goes on to face Bray, and then Sheamus goes on to face Braun. I think that will probably be like the next couple months on SmackDown. Yeah, I, I want to see Sheamus win the gold one more time. I think this guy, when you look back at the 2012 run, he was superb, man. Like, th the time was awful. He, he feuded with Del Rio for four months. Felt like forever. And he just made it work. Every single pay-per-view was great. I remember his match at No Way Out 2012 with Dolph Ziggler was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it, was, it felt like pay-per-view after pay-per-view, he, he was just getting better. And his reign was getting longer. He looked more dominant. So I feel like if WWE, like you just mentioned, Alino doing Sheamus and Braun Strowman, I think that would have been perfect. He came back right after WrestleMania. You know, you can make him look like this Celtic badass that just bowls through everybody. But again, you know, you go with the safe approach. You go with Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman. They do have history. But, man, that sounds so good, Sheamus and Braun. I feel like that's maybe an opportunity they missed. But... I love Sheamus. I think that guy, he needs to, uh, he needs to get a title. Fucking Jeff Hardy. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, guys, do you have anything else? I think we're done here. Yeah, it's been an hour. All right, guys, make sure to stay tuned next week for episode 78. 
It's been a good one.